May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Spend a bit of time reading from the letters of Paul, and it doesn't take long to discover that the great apostle of grace can be rather opinionated, tough, and uncompromising. For all that he celebrates and proclaims the audacity of God's grace, Paul can get rather prickly when he turns his attention to the practical matters of life in the Christian community. So, without any hesitation in 2 Thessalonians, Paul suggests that church members who won't earn their own keep, believers living in idleness, he calls them, shouldn't be given any food. In Galatians, he dresses down Peter for uh, compromising on the full inclusion of the Gentiles. And later in that same letter, Paul suggests that those Jewish Christians who are still insisting that Gentile converts to Christianity must also become Jews by being circumcised, he says that they should go and castrate themselves. And then, from this evening's reading from Romans, there's this line about heaping burning coals on the heads of one's enemies. It comes in the context of a section of his letter which had begun, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. And you just have to know that when Paul writes about love, he's not thinking in terms of anything even vaguely sentimental or mushy. He's thinking in terms of a way of being in the world, a way chosen, an ongoing willful choosing to be rooted in a love that transforms both the one who loves and also those who receive that love. It's a way of love that is not necessarily easy, but it is true. It's a way of love that one imagines Paul himself carried out with his jaw clenched and his teeth gritted, or at least some days he did, because it's not always easy to love, because we're not always lovable people one to another. In line after line, Paul holds out this vision of life that cuts against the grain of expected social norms. Life lived according to this kind of love, in other words. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. What he means there is the church in Jerusalem was in deep trouble financially. I mean, they were really, really up against the wall. The saints in Jerusalem, contribute to them, to your partner churches. Extend hospitality to strangers. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Notice that this kind of love that Paul is writing about is not meant to be confined to others within your own church community. In keeping with the mandate of the Hebrew Scriptures, hospitality is to be extended to the stranger. 
If it is possible, he writes, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And he really does mean all. Not only that, but threaded through these verses are references that raise the bar even further. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. In other words, repay evil with good. Beloved, never revenge yourselves, he writes, which for at least some people maybe is the toughest move of all to make, to resist avenging. Now, maybe we need to soften that word avenge. It, is, it sort of conjures up pictures of a Cape Crusader, after all. Tuck it into a phrase like setting things right. I want to set things right. I need to see justice done. I need to hold that person accountable for what they did to me. When we've been badly wronged, it's such a human thing to want to see it set right. We want our metaphorical day in court in which the one who has wronged us is made to, if not pay back, at least admit that they have wronged us. That's not your business, Paul seems to be saying. That's not your jurisdiction to even scores like that. And given his sometimes fiery personality, maybe Paul's preaching as much to himself as to anyone else. And that's where things begin to get really complicated. All of these powerful words about love, hospitality, peaceableness, all of these words about not repaying evil with evil, not taking matters into your own hands and avenging some wrong or trying to make things accountable, are followed by two clear citations from the Hebrew Scriptures which together, at least at first glance, seem to suggest that if you hold back on avenging, if you hold back on trying to set things right, hold back on taking any action on your own part, in fact, God will then have room to do an even more thorough job than you could have done of it. Listen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Paul's citing here the book of Deuteronomy, which at the very least says, The judgments of vengeance or revenge are not our jurisdiction, they're God's. Jesus himself is actually really rather clear on that matter. The Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. In other words, if God does that, how could we possibly make judgments that categorize people as evil? That person wronged me and I need my justice. Jesus is kind of saying, not your business, not your jurisdiction. Very much Paul's line. 
God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and if God does that, how could you dare make your enemies pay, much less take justice into your own hands? It's all God's turf, not ours. And what vengeance even looks like when it comes from a God who sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous, whose sun shines on the good and the evil, what God's vengeance looks like, well, that's a whole other matter altogether, isn't it? Yet it's Paul's next citation from the book of Proverbs that seems to raise the stakes even higher. I'm sure you heard it when, when Mike was reading it. Because there was all this wonderful stuff and all of a sudden, what was that? If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. So far, so good. And then he continues, again quoting Proverbs. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. So is Paul suggesting that if we can only refrain from taking justice into our hands, God will reward our patience by taking down our adversaries and taking them down hard. I mean, the guy who came here to church on Christmas Eve, worshipped with us and sang carols with us, was here the whole time, and at the end managed to find where the offering envelopes were and stuffed a handful of them into his pocket and disappeared out the side door. It's a good thing we didn't chase him, Good thing we didn't find him and try to take justice into our own hands because there's some hot burning coals waiting for that guy. Is that what Paul's saying? No, no, hang on. In truth, over the centuries, some have read this passage in precisely that manner. Yet it's awfully hard to square with the main point Paul is making here, namely that our core ethic is to be one shaped by that choice to love, whether we feel like it or not, such that we not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil by good. So what is this hot coals thing? Well, according to the biblical scholar Paul Achtemeyer, when Paul speaks of caring for an enemy's needs which heaps coals of fire on that enemy's head, he's not giving advice on a better way to get back at one's enemy. Rather, such treatment, offering food or drink, is intended to get the enemy to turn from enmity to friendship. Gracious deeds thus burn away the hate within. Such treatment of opponents has as its goal reconciliation and peace, not another's defeat and suffering. It's also the reading given the passage by the great theologian Karl Barth, who says that in doing, quote, the irrational, impossible, and altogether unpractical thing, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, If he thirsts, give him to drink. We may discover that the other is driven by our action out of the position of enemy. Or, as the New Testament scholar Elizabeth Shively puts it, by treating our opponents like family. Like family. Opponents are shamed the image of heaping of burning coals on the enemy's heads 
suggests making him red in the face. Red in the face, is that too much of an interpretive stretch? Maybe. But just know that in the view of many, many Pauline scholars, this image of hot coals is not one of punishment, but of penitence, maybe even of purification, the goal being right relationship. And quite frankly, that's entirely in keeping with Paul's own embrace of the audacity of grace. Sure, Paul can be prickly and more than a little opinionated, and he can lose his temper. Yet almost in spite of himself, Paul keeps singing a much grander song. He keeps singing a grander song in which even the quirks of his own strong personality were to be forgiven and reconciled. And the irrational, impossible, and altogether unpractical gesture of meeting an adversary's hostility with a bit of food and a bit of drink, those were the most powerful and transformative things of all. Do not be overcome by evil, he'd written, but overcome evil with with good. We need to find the courage to follow that ethic and to dare to believe that in that ethic is in fact the most powerful way. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.